It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. With the Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to the Beyond Gender Podcast. The place for transgender and gender variant stories and news. We're your hosts, Caleb Arring and Dorian Vendon. Join us every other week as we interview people about their experiences with trans identity and gender variants. And be sure to give us your feedback on Twitter at Beyond Gender Pod. On Facebook at www.facebook.com slash beyondgenderpod or email us beyondgenderpod at gmail.com. And check out our website www.beyondgenderpod.com for resources and more info about us and the show. And if you love the show, give us five stars on iTunes. Feel free to share, comment, or get in touch with us, even to be a guest if you'd like. Thanks for listening. Hi, and welcome to another episode of the Beyond Gender podcast. We're so happy to have you here with us this week. We've got a great episode lined up for you today. News with Dorian will be up first, followed by a great interview that we have today with Sophia. I will talk more about that shortly. I am coming right off of Pride Weekend here in San Francisco. I guess it's not right off of Pride Weekend. Pride Weekend ended a few days ago, but it still feels pretty fresh. It was a lot of fun. On Friday, we had our trans march that happens every Friday. First, there's a big festival um, that was a lot of fun. It was really interesting. You know, sometimes I tend to think, well, I know a lot of trans people that I interview on my show that I talk to one time and air their story, but I don't really know that many trans people. And then I went to the trans march and I remembered that I actually do know a lot of trans people um, in real life. And uh, so I just ran into a lot of my friends there, took a lot of fun pictures, uh, hung out with some people. It was a, a particularly sunny day in San Francisco, which was great. So I just got to hang out, enjoy the sun, enjoy the speakers and performances. Uh, and then we marched through San Francisco to the new um, transgender district that's here in the city. 
and it was a lot of fun. Um, and then the rest of the weekend was really great too. I got to see a great drag show, um, watch some of the parade, uh, walk around in the festival. I went a little bit early so I could see the festival before it got too crazy because it gets really, really crowded here in San Francisco. Uh, yeah. And that was, that was San Francisco pride for me, at least. Um, I'm sure there are lots of other stories out there about the weekend as well, but that was my experience. It was a lot of fun. And if you ever have the opportunity to come to San Francisco for pride and, um, particularly for the trans march and the celebration before it, I definitely, definitely recommend it. So yeah, that's about it. Uh, And with that, I am going to send it over right away to Dorian with today's news. again, Dorian Vrendon with the Beyond News segment. Lambda Legal asks a federal court to reopen a case of Dana Zim, the intersex citizen and U.S. Navy veteran denied a passport because the U.S. State Department continues to refuse to recognize a gender marker that is neither male nor female. The motion to reopen the case follows the State Department's decision once again to deny Zim a passport. The State Department's denial followed last November's court ruling, which stated that the earlier decision to deny Zim an accurate passport without male or female gender markers was arbitrary and capricious, and that directed the State Department to reconsider. Governor Brian Sandoval vetoed a bill mandating that health care insurers in Nevada cover all medically necessary transgender health care needs. Assembly Bill 408 would have made it plain that no health care provider shall discriminate against intersex, transgender, or other sex-slash-gender-diverse persons. In an address to the UK Parliament, the Queen Elizabeth said her government was pledging to protect LGBTQ people from discrimination, saying, My government will take will make further progress to tackle the gender pay gap and discrimination against people on the basis of their race, faith, gender, disability, or sexual orientation. A trans woman has won substantial damages after police stripped her and sprayed her in the face with mace, forcing her to wash her eyes out with toilet water. Avon and Somerset police agreed to offer an unknown payout to the woman, who has only been identified as Miss C, after admitting a series of failings while she was held in custody October 2015. Miss C claimed male officers forced her to strip naked and refused her request that only female officers be present as she undressed. After more than a decade of pressure from advocates, Canada's Senate has finally adopted a bill adding gender expression and identity to the country's human rights protections. Bill C-16, an act to amend the Canadian Human Rights Act and Criminal Code, passed a vote in the Senate with a 64 in favor. It prohibits discrimination on the basis of gender identity or expression, just as Canada's Human Rights Code prohibits discrimination due to gender, sexual orientation, religion, and other factors. That's all for the news here and beyond. Until next time, stay safe, stay connected. Thank you, Dorian, for the news. Next up, we have my interview with Sophia. I know Sophia uh, from her presence online in some uh, trans 
groups on Facebook, uh, but Dorian actually knows Sophia in real life. And Dorian's actually been really amazing lately, um, helping bring on some really exciting guests for the show. We've got some really great things lined up. Um, and this is one of the great guests that Dorian had lined up for us. So I had the opportunity to chat with Sophia for a little while and hear about her story. And I'm going to send you over to that right now. And this interview really just jumps right in from the second that I hit record. So I hope that you enjoy it. The first thing I want to say is that uh, I actually have a lot of uh, respect for this podcast. It helped me a lot in my early transition. Um, I know uh, the producer Dorian personally, um, and when I first came out, I reached out to Dorian, uh, among several other people, but Dorian was one of the first other trans women I, I like reached out to, you know, and, um, she did a lot to help me in those early times. It was definitely super confusing as it is for most people, I think. And I had a lot going on, you know, um, and she told me about this podcast and I don't think she was producer yet. Even like she had probably just started to get to know you and, um, I listened to one of the earlier episodes. It was about somebody who transitioned. They were assigned to male at birth, but they transitioned. They were super femme at first, and then they kind of decided, like, eh, I'm more agender, and they kind of switched their pronouns and name a little bit. Um, and that really helped me because it made me realize that it isn't, like, an all-or-nothing sort of thing, you know? Um, and that's kind of a theme I've heard in this podcast several times. And it's true. Like, it, you can transition in your own way. And um, and so that really helped me. And I don't really consider myself agender, and I do use she, her pronouns. But um, I didn't know what the hell I was doing at that time. And I just needed, like, some reassurance that it isn't, like... It's a big deal, but it isn't, like... You know what I mean? It isn't, you can change, you know? It doesn't have to be like you're, once you're in, you're in kind of thing, you know? Yeah, like, you know, you make this decision and you're stuck with it, you know, exactly the way that you made it in that moment in time. Right, exactly. Um, and it just felt like it took off like a lot of pressure almost. Yeah. So, yeah, I guess kind of rewinding and like looking back, it, it's interesting because like I, definitely didn't have that experience of like I knew since I was a kid right but mm -hmm. there was signs throughout my life you know um I uh you know little things things that aren't like a huge deal that some you know cisgender people go through like I played with girl toys as a really little kid I was not into sports um I was much more creative uh, as an egg, I was very introverted in childhood and past childhood. Um, and so I definitely didn't have these typical, you know, masculine traits. Um, but it wasn't like ever like a thought in my young mind that like I was quote unquote born into the wrong body or anything like that. You know, um, I grew up in an alcoholic household, um, 
and you know my mom was a drinker and uh you know it came with its own difficulties um and my dad did his best to kind of uh shield me from that but there's only so much you can do you know Mm -hmm. um and i just remember like fear playing a huge role in my life you know um even as a young child like I was really afraid of what my parents and teachers and what authority figures thought of me, you know? Um, when I was about 10, uh, my mom got into a really bad car accident and she was put into a coma. Um, and the doctors didn't think she was gonna make it and she was drunk driving. Um, and that was rough, that was definitely rough. Um, you know, she couldn't, get it you know what I mean she'd been to like 12-step programs counseling all kinds of stuff you know right before the accident um you know my dad's told me since then that um you know he thought she was actually getting better she hadn't drank for a while and all that kind of stuff and then that night she called my dad and was like hey I'm at this bar why don't you come over and my dad was like I'm not like, I'm done with this like this is fucking you know he used to drink with her but he was getting kind of sick of it at that point you know Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, like it was, it was rough, um, seeing my mom in a coma. Uh, yeah, it's just, there's no other words to describe it really. It's just difficult. Um, yeah, but she didn't pass away. She's alive to this day. Um, it turned out to be almost a blessing in disguise. I know it's hard to believe that, but she is so much happier now, you know? Um, she's probably going to be in some kind of home or care facility for the rest of her life, but she's recovered a lot of functioning. Um, she's always smiling, very happy, loves it, loves it when I visit. Um, she has really bad short-term memory because of the brain damage. But I, when I show up and, like, a dress and makeup and stuff like that. It, she it kind of like clicks immediately with her, you know. And then she just asked me to remind her like what my new name is, and she honestly guessed it has gotten it quicker than a lot of uh, cisgender family members, to be honest. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, like you know, it was really, really easy for her, I think, and it was really touching when I first told her because uh, I was really afraid. I didn't visit her for a long time after my transition because I just didn't. And I, in my heart of hearts, I knew she would accept me and love me no matter what. I just didn't know how to have that conversation. I didn't know how her uh, brain damage would affect her memories of me. You know, like a lot of her memories of me are grounded in like my early childhood because that's what she remembers best because of the short-term brain damage or memory damage. Mm-hmm. So. But that's gotten a lot better, too. Like, it's been, Jesus, 17 years. So um, her short-term memory is actually, like, way better than it used to be. And I think that's helped a lot, too. But, yeah, so after the accident when I was a kid, um, you know, I, I hit puberty. And the fear of what my parents and teachers thought of me kind of shifted to what my peers and um, did I say 
did I say peers blast on But fear of what my parents and, and teachers thought of me to what to a fear of what my peers and friends thought of me. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, as a result, I started to act out. Um, you know, and around all this, like I, I I started getting into the punk rock scene and going to shows. Um, I started to experiment with drugs and alcohol. Um, you know, and just started to like get into more arguments with my family. Uh, my dad had remarried, and I have a little brother. Um, and so, um, yeah, you know, and there is another sign during this time period of my gender dysphoria. It was for me, my gender dysphoria throughout my life is kind of like this suppressed, um, unconscious kind of uh, reality. And I, that suppression wasn't like instilled by me on purpose. My family's not religious. You know, um, my dad is relative, you know, relatively liberal, and he's become actually more radical left in recent years, as have I. Um, I'm sure you'll, I'll get into that in a little bit later. Um, but uh, yeah, like you know, that it was never instilled with like these kind of like social conservatism that like is typically transphobic, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, it's just, I was just afraid of it. I, I even engaged in some homophobic behavior and I was specifically raised not to be homophobic. Not so much trans issues, that wasn't as, you know, as much of a topic in my household, but my friend, my family had gay friends and, you know, it's it's just stuff you pick up from school and stuff, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but despite that oppression, it would bubble, not oppression, suppression rather, it would bubble up at times. Mm-hmm. Um, I, uh, one of the ways it bubbled up in my teenage years um, when I was heavy into punk rock was like I grew out my hair. Um, I would uh, cut up my jeans and peg them super tight so I had really skinny jeans. And I'd put all my band patches and I would make my own patches and um and uh people would often you know say i was a girl like they would accidentally get my gender right and i didn't even realize it (laughs) um and i had this kind of confused uh adolescent idea of feminism to where like oh like i don't care if i look feminine because um you know being androgynous is cool and you know I love this punk rock lyrics that sings about feminism and yada yada. But while I was having that thought, there's also this parallel thought and behavior to where I was like really misogynistic and at times homophobic, you know what I mean? So, and like, I didn't want people to see me as feminine or as gay either. You know what I mean? I was really afraid of that. Um, despite like also like, you know what I mean? Like that all is really confusing for me. On one hand, like I want to be pro LGBT, I wanted to be pro, you know, feminist. On the other hand, I was kind of a misogynist. I was kind of, uh, you know, homophobic. And I think that's not really terrible. I think a lot of people kind of go through that as they're growing up and are trying to find themselves and find out what they believe and who they are, you know? Mm-hmm, absolutely. But having that gender dysphoria really... Uh, 
threw a wrench in it that I think a lot of cisgender people may not go through, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and everybody has a struggle. They might go through something that's like different, but has a similar effect. But that was my thing, I guess. <laughs> Um, as well as addiction. Um, I got really heavily into the drugs and alcohol as time went on. And even though I was doing good in school, I ended up dropping out and going to treatment at 17. Um, what kind of was like the first bottom I experienced was um, I was experimenting with LSD. Um, I had two... Uh, I was going to hang out with two friends. They're both uh, girls. Um, I bought all the substances. Um, I think the statue of limitations should be up on that by now. Um, <laughs> and um, I uh, was supposed to meet them at my friend's house and go spend the night with them. Um, I'm impatient, so I took my hit before they even picked me up. And um, when they showed up, I had this overwhelming fear that if I hung out with them while it was an acid, I would end up gay or femme or something like that would happen, right? Um, it was also further complicated because I had a crush on one of them. So I was a mess of a teenager, you know. And in general, like, teenage years can be described by the phrase, um, I was really, really queer but I was also really into women and it just was so confusing. You know what I mean? Um, so I don't know. I just didn't go with them and I hung out at my buddy's house, but when his mom saw me and my big saucer eyes, I was not welcome there. So I drove home and, um, I had to talk to my dad because my dad woke up and the dogs barked and I told him I was spending the night somewhere. And that was fucking weird. Um, and then I was by myself in a dark room watching TV on acid. And that is a bad place to be. Um, it's really recommended. I don't advocate drug use, by the way. So don't misconstrue this. But um, it is recommended you spend time with people if you're on that drug. Um, so that way they can help calm you down if you start to like freak out or get panicky or anything like that. I didn't have that. That was by myself. And... This is also kind of a dark time for me as far as my intellectual and political development. I kind of went that was going through like a rabbit hole of conspiracy theories at the time. And I was also reading the book 1984. And uh, for people who don't know about that book, basically the plot is it's about a, a person, you know, in this like uh, authoritarian communist government where the government monitors people through the TV, right? Um, people often cite it as like an anti-socialist book, but George Orwell was actually a socialist, who, the writer. But anyway, it's another topic. Um, <laughs> I uh, I uh, was reading that at the time, and I was really into conspiracy theories, and um, because of that, it, like. And it's dark shit. The conspiracy theories specifically are very dark. Um, so I got this paranoid delusion that the TV was monitoring me. You know, I'd like flip the channel and one channel, like JD from Scrubs was like talking directly to me. You know, another channel, the characters were like looking right at me. You know, all this kind of like 
crazy shit. And so I decided that I was going to try to de-brainwash myself by watching a movie on government conspiracy theories while listening to the rap group Public Enemy. And that really uh, fucked my brain. Um, and even after the effects of the drugs wore off, I was not right. And I would walk in my friend's house, the TVs would take their pictures of me. Um, I would hear people screaming, like, what is going on as I was walking through the neighborhood? Um, white vans would take off. Um, I would see Black Hawk helicopters, you know. I think one time the helicopters were actually there, but they were just regular police helicopters looking for a suspect. So, And it you, wasn't you. It wasn't me, yeah. It was just, you know, when you get into paranoid delusions, you, you interpret anything the way that fits your delusion. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so yeah, and my memories of those times are exactly what I just described. Like, I can't remember what actually happened because that was my perception. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I know now it's not real, but, you know, that's just my memory of it. So, um, yeah, treatment, uh, in and out of my parents' house. Uh, they would kick me out at times and then bring me back in. Um, I would oftentimes get very aggressive and violent with them, so they kind of had a, uh, their right to kick me out, you know? And then one time they kicked me out and they didn't let me back in. And since I was still legally 17, uh, somebody, a friend of mine called CPS on them. And so I ended up going to a halfway house. Um, the owner of this halfway house was a family friend and knew me since I was a kid. So he just had my dad sign a waiver and there I was. And this halfway house at 17. And and then through all of this, you know, at that time, were you starting to have ideas that you might not be in the right gender while you were coping with all of this other stuff that was going on? Or how was that playing into your life? It was fear of it. It's kind of like what I described the whole episode with the acid, like why I didn't hang out with those two friends. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I was still trying to be masculine and it didn't fit and it was just confusing, but I didn't have like a conscious idea of it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I never thought like, Oh, maybe I'm the wrong gender or anything like that. I did have questions about being bisexual. Um, but I didn't feel super strongly about that. And even now, I'm only occasionally attracted to men. Um, I'm mostly, like, queer lesbian, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know. That depends on what day you ask me to, though. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, yeah, and, and that was more about, like, my, my sexuality than my gender at the time, you know? Um, and part of that was just it wasn't as talked about. This was back in, like, 2008, so... It wasn't, like, a, a topic that was talked about in the news as much back then. Um, and um, I didn't really know anybody who was transgender, but I knew people who were gay. You know what I mean? So it, that's just kind of where I was at with it. But I was also afraid that, like, if I was seen as gay or feminine, like, girls wouldn't like me. So um, how ironic that I act super gay and effeminate now and I, uh, have multiple partners. So 
just goes to show you what I knew as a teenager. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But yeah, I don't know. I just, it was just all really dark and confusing. I, my head cleared a little bit and I wasn't so paranoid and out of touch with reality, but I never really got sober at that time. I moved out of that halfway house as soon as I turned 18, moved into a drug den, um, just a really naive 18-year-old, and eventually moved out of there after getting it caught up with the law a little bit um, and not getting along with my roommates. Um, I kind of decided that, like, okay, I'm going to lay off the harder drugs just going to drink and smoke weed. I'm going to go get my GED. I'm going to go back to go back to school, get my go to college, get my life back on track, you know. Through all that, I was able to maintain a job um, even post GED. Uh, it was just working retail, but it paid the bills, you know. Mhm. Yeah. Uh, but that plan didn't quite work for some reasons. Um I started to have delusions again. I haven't touched acid since then. Weed is classified as like a low-grade hallucinogen, though, so it might have had to do with like the amount of weed I was smoking. Um, and I kind of like never, my brain never fully healed from that uh, traumatic experience. Mm-hmm. But um, I. Uh, yeah, I, I was drinking like a fish. I was still 18, but, like, I knew friends who had fake IDs. One of my roommates was over 21. Um, so, like, it was way easier to get, right? And I think the I kind of identify primarily as an alcoholic as far as my substance abuse goes because um, I think I would have drank way more had I been of age. But drugs are just a little bit easier to get as a minor, so that's what I did. Mm-hmm. Uh, ultimately, I just wanted to check out from reality, and I think trying to suppress my dysphoria was was a part of that. Um, That isn't the sole cause, but it was a part of it. So, um, yeah, I just stopped going to work. I had all kinds of paranoid delusions again. You know, I thought I can make, like, I lived in the Matrix. You know, I thought I can make a clone of myself go to work for me. And there (laughs) would be this, like, magic paycheck in my work clothes. That obviously didn't happen. And, uh, you know, I got kicked out. I got a DUI, told my car, kicked out of my apartment, um, and it was a really dark time. Um, and from 15 to 18, like homeless twice, lost all my material possessions twice, lost my mind twice, in and out of jails and treatment centers. Like it was not good, you know. Um, and this is where my gender dysphoria really started to like be more obvious. Um, part of what my paranoid delusion at that time, the second time around, was I thought my body would just change. I thought, like, without hormones or surgery, I was just going to have uh, developed breasts, and my genitalia was just going to change, and my, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And um, there was, you know, I started to like wear women's clothes and wear a bra um and yeah it was it was basically that was bubbling up but I wasn't coping with it in a healthy way um and I was also like on the streets so I became like you know 
what society saw as like a cross-dressing homeless person mumbling to themselves at 18, basically. Um, and I would hang out at, the, uh, at a community college library, and I actually got kicked out of the women's bathroom there at, uh, in 2008 and uh, ordered not to come back on the campus property for two years. <laughs> so, yeah. And I think, again, like bathroom issues, you know, these things weren't in the media at the time. Um, I was visibly homeless and visibly out of my right mind, but I don't think that's the proper way to handle that, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, I kept calling my family, my dad, I wanted to move back into my parents' house and live for free and, you know, recapture the spirit of good, the good old days when drinking and using was still fun. And they weren't really excited on that idea. So, <laughs> um, my aunt paid for like a month of uh, a halfway house. And I was still, when I moved back to this halfway house, I was still pretty out of it. And I had a book on anarchist theory that I stole from the library. And I lit it on fire in the living room of this halfway house, wrote a bunch of weird incantations in it, on it, and did a mosh pit around it. And... I, they called an ambulance and I got sent to treatment again. Um, yeah. But what's interesting was when I went into treatment, I was still dressing in, in feminine clothes and um, I changed my name to Danny at that time, which is not my dead name. Um, uh, the editor of that uh, anarchist book because it's a it's a compilation of different writers but uh, Daniel Gierwin I believe it's a German name mm-hmm. um, so I was going by Danny is short for Danielle um, I don't remember if I changed my pronouns but that was all and I had no idea that's like a thing that transgender people do it's just something I did right and it was part of that delusion that my body was just going to change but like knowing what I know now and looking back, like that's really obvious, like gender dysphoria coming through. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and people in the treatment center respected that both the other patients and, um, the staff there. So kudos to them. But, um, after I got out, like I got on the local Medicaid program and, um, was going to like group counseling and a clinic that prescribes medication for people who have mental illness and drug addiction. So they wouldn't give me narcotics because, you know, I used to eat those like candy. And um, I uh, started to get help. And I had relapses here and there, but part of what happened during this time period was that I was still dressing them when I would go out to like drink and party and relapse. And then when I would go to, like, 12-step meetings or my counseling group or whatever, I would dress masculine and go by my dead name. And then, like, slowly started to, like, come out of the delusion. But as that happened, I convinced myself that everything that I was doing was just a byproduct of the drug abuse. Um, It was not related to gender dysphoria or being transgender or being queer or anything remotely like that. I identified as straight, identified as cisgender, um, and I just 
went right back to suppressing it. And by the time I actually got sober in May 14th of 2009, I pretty much had put all that aside and stopped uh, exploring my gender and sexuality at all. Um, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. You know, I don't know what would have happened. I don't know if I would still be sober, honestly. I, I don't know. It's just hard to say. Um, but, uh, yeah, moving forward, like, first year of sobriety was rough, you know? My brain was still healing, even though I was a, little, a lot more in touch with reality. Like, you know, I really messed my brain up with what I did. And um, I would sometimes hear voices and see things when I was trying to sleep in my mind's eye that, like, frightened me and... Um, depression was kind of a, something that would happen um, but in early sobriety I also like again since I started to just go back to identifying as like straight guy, cisgender, all that kind of stuff, I guess kind of assumed that my life would take this like heteronormative path of like you know, white picket fence house, wife, dog 2.5 kids um, all that good stuff the American dream, right? Mm-hmm. Um even though I had a little bit of background in countercultural stuff, like, it, you know, I just figured that's what my life would be, you know? And, um, so yeah, moving forward, like, I kind of, uh, fell into a men's stag, uh, 12 step group. Um, they're heavily involved in, like, you know, taking the message of recovery into, like, rehabs and treatment centers and halfway houses and stuff like that. A uh, very strong sense of community, um, and I think I really needed that, you know. And I just, I just kind of ended up at that meeting, and um, they accepted me, you know. Um, and that's more or less what I did for about five years. Um, but as time moved on, you know, that vision of like uh, the American dream, and you know, marriage, and all that kind of stuff, like was just not happening, you know? Um, I just, I also assumed in early sobriety that dating was really difficult for me as a teenager because of my addiction, and that would get better as I was sober, right? Mm -hmm. But it didn't. Um, you know, other young people in recovery, there's kind of a little bit of a hookup culture, um, which is which comes with its good points and its bad points, but I wasn't involved in that. Um, I wasn't dating in any kind of like committed monogamous sense. Um, I would date here and there. I would have, you know, maybe a girlfriend for like a month or two, but like nothing long term. And by the time I got to 25, I'm like, maybe there's something really wrong with me, you know? And it was depressing. Like, you know, and I, I tried to like write about it, talk to counselors about it, talk to, you know, my support group in the 12 step community and, um, Nothing seemed to, like, I couldn't find any answers, you know? Um, and it just got, it got to this point where I, I accepted that, like, maybe there's just something fundamentally wrong with me, you know? And it's still, I don't know, I still have a lot of, there's a lot of sadness, you know, when I look back at that time. Um, and I was really good at putting on a smile and acting like everything was right, it was okay with me, but I, it wasn't, you know. Um, so I don't know. It, it was just not a good time for me. 
but on paper, like I should have been super happy, you know, on paper, I was, you know, doing all the right things in a 12 step program. I was a honor student finishing my last semester of college. Um, I had a job. I was a supervisor at that job. I had, I wasn't living in a halfway house anymore. I had a car. Um, you know, I was, I was an amazing person, you know, but inside I was fucking miserable, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, it was around that same time too, though, that I started to get more involved in activism. Um, you know, and I had an interest in politics all throughout my life. Um, you know, as a teenager, I, I got into the punk rock community, like I said, and through that, I was introduced to ideas about, like, um, anarchism, um, not as in, like, chaos and in the Sex Pistols kind of sense, but as, like, you know, a libertarian socialist movement that opposes both capitalism and uh, centralized governments. Um looks for more like community organizing and all that kind of stuff. Um, but I, I didn't have like a mature understanding of it at that time. It was just like punk rock lyrics basically, you know? Um, and then in college, like, again, I started to like look more into these ideas, um, and kind of develop and stuff like that. But it wasn't really until I started to get more involved in actually organizing that I, um, started to kind of come into my own politically and it still took a while and a lot of experience and it's a continual growth and change process obviously but um, you know you talk to people about politics while you're organizing you get certain ideas of what to read what interests you and you learn to go through this kind of feedback process you know and um, I got involved in this community uh, organizing that made like an anarchist community center in um, downtown Phoenix area. Mm-hmm. Um, and it hosted like a lot of like support groups and uh, I did food, not bombs first where we would feed, uh, we would make vegan meals and feed uh, homeless people with them. Um, and through that, like I just got involved in a lot of other stuff and um it was through this like broad community organizing that I uh, was introduced to Dorian actually, um, and so Dorian and other people were some of the first transgender people I met, and um, I started to like develop close friendships with them and hear about their struggles and their lives and what they were going through, um, and you know after organizing for a couple years I really felt like I started to identify with the things that they went through and um, you know there's a lot of different issues that lefties care about um, including queer and trans issues but um, I took those super personal for some reason you know what I mean like I felt like when I would hear about tragic things or struggles my friends are going through is almost like a personal affront to me you know what I mean mm-hmm and so, I don't know, I just remember thinking that. And then, uh, let's say, December of 2015, I, my last relationship uh, before my transition ended, um, I didn't really think that this was, like, the one per se, but, I, you know, we got along pretty well. Um, and I kind of thought, like, well, maybe she's not the one, but maybe this could be, like, finally have my first long-term relationship at the very least, you know what I mean? Like, I was so desperate, I would have been happy with, like, a relationship that ended, lasted a year and then ended, 
So you can at least have experience of that. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You know, I felt like at 25, most people had had something like that, you know, and maybe, you know, maybe I'm just too harsh for myself, but that's what I, how I felt. But after she left, like, I really started to be like, there's something really not working with all this, you know? Mm-hmm. And in February, I went on my first queer date. Um, I still wasn't uh, sure about any of it. Um, I kind of had a sense that maybe I was non-binary, maybe I was bisexual, I'm not sure. But I went on a date with somebody else who was non-binary. Uh, it was actually um, Valentine's Day of 2016, the day that Deadpool came out. So we went and saw Deadpool. And, um, you know, we were at this movie theater where the chairs were really big. Um, and, you know, uh, you can remove the uh, armrest or, like, push it back. So, like, we were snuggling towards the end of the movie. And that was that felt good. That was really nice. But when we when I dropped them back off, we kissed, and I had a good tea at the time. They had a good tea, and we kissed, and it just didn't feel good, you know. Um, I don't know. I this person knew that I was kind of just exploring and stuff like that, and I don't really feel great about how this went down, but I didn't intend to hurt anyone you know mm-hmm. so I just kind of was like well maybe I'm straight and that's what I told them you know but after that like I started to reflect more on it I'm like I'm not straight like it's just there's just no way that this is working for me you know so I started to look more into gender after that and this was happening while I was trying to finish my honors thesis my last semester of college <laughs> yeah so I'd be up to four in the morning trying to write my thesis, but instead I'd be like looking up, you know, hormone replacement therapy or whatever. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, you know, it was really a stressful time. And then a May, in May of last year, I came out to the first time, for the first time, to uh, a couple of really close friends. And then slowly I started to let people know. And it was mostly people in like the leftist community that I told um as far as like the 12 step community, I was living with somebody from that men's dad group who I felt like probably wouldn't understand my transition. And I don't know, it was really complicated. And I'm not like seeking to like throw people under the bus or talk shit on a podcast, but um, it was complicated. It was complicated for me and it was complicated for them, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, that group really did do a lot to help me and I honestly think it saved my life you know but I think also that sometimes even something that's really good and healthy for you it serves its purpose in your life and you need to walk away from it you know um, and that's kind of like the conclusion I came to um, but I, I didn't want to tell them because I didn't. I wanted to like secure new housing and all this kind of stuff before I did. So, um, I, uh, was able to like find a new place to live and moved into there. And I started hormone replacement therapy in July. And then, um, I publicly announced 
Yeah, uh, I ha- am polyamorous now, so that whole like cis heteronormative like ideal I had is basically out the window now. <laughs> um, <laughs> and uh, I'm in, in in a master's program studying social justice and human rights. Um, and I'm like so much happier now. You know, there's definitely stresses that are associated with being trans. You know, mm-hmm. but. I feel like so much more confident. You know, I was so introverted and shy, and there's nothing wrong with being introverted, obviously. But um, it was the shyness was coming from a place of like unease. It wasn't like a personality trait. You know what I mean? And now that I'm out, I feel like very confident and outspoken and outgoing and friendly. Um, at times, aggressive. Not gonna lie. Um, and that's definitely been kind of interesting thing that like I'm still doing soul searching on like whether or not I'm non-binary um, because like I have a lot of identity with being feminine and a lot of identity with womanhood but I also have like a lot of masculine personality traits according to you know normal not normal but like cis heteronormative society or whatever you know um, I like I said, I could be aggressive. I like outdoorsy stuff. Um, I am an advocate of guns as far as like self-defense and community defense. Um, I am practice martial arts. Um, so I don't know if like I'm like a woman with some masculine features or if I'm non-binary. I don't know, you know. I still am trying to figure that out, but I do know for certain that I'm, like, way happier. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that's kind of my story in a nutshell. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think the great thing is that even though it seems like you, you, you know, you said just now, I don't know, it's like, it, but it doesn't matter, right? Like, other people might want to put you in a box or might want you to, tell them your identity but it does you know it doesn't matter as long as you're happy regardless of where you fall yeah exactly um the one thing that is kind of like also mindfuck with all that too though is um i uh i sometimes worry that my feelings of gender fluidity are just a response to dysphoric feelings um but I'm not 100% sure that's true. You know what I mean? There's been times where I felt more masculine, um, but like now those feelings were like in response to like not feeling like quote unquote a proper woman or whatever. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I don't know. It's tricky. So I really loved hearing your story. And what I want to close off the interview with is a question that I ask all of our guests. Mm-hmm. So if there's somebody out there listening um, and maybe they're questioning their gender identity or they're feeling some gender dysphoria, what advice would you have for them? I think the biggest turning point was um, just find someone you trust, um, whether or not you want to keep it more secretive or you're more interested in like being more open and exploring openly, whatever it is. 
find someone you can trust and talk to them. Um, it wasn't until I told my close friends and, you know, started to, like, have some sort of a support group um, that I was able to, like, really start this journey, you know? Um, and the other bit of advice is, you know, and again, this is a theme I've heard a lot in this podcast, but it's so important that it's said that there is no one proper way to transition. You know what I mean? Like, it's not this narrative. It's not any way a celebrity or whoever, or even me, you know what I mean? Anyone, you know, it's, it's your own journey. And, um, whether you socially transition, medically transition or whatever, like, you do you and that's it's what's important is you find your own happiness and your own truth with it you know mm-hmm. awesome well thank you so much for joining us it's been a lot of fun having you on the show absolutely Thank you so much, Sophia, for that interview. I hope that you all enjoyed listening to it. I think it was a really, really great story, just touching on what it's like getting to know oneself and, you know, going through a difficult journey in not only getting to know who you are yourself, but being able to accept that person as well. So I'm really glad that we had Sophia on to share about that journey uh, so that we could all learn. And I hope that you enjoyed it. I hope that it was a good time for you. And like I said, we have a lot of great interviews lined up for the show, and we are super excited to share them with you. We will be back here in two weeks with the next one. So we're looking forward to seeing you here and having that for you. Until then, take care. Thanks again for listening to another great episode of the Beyond Gender podcast. We will be back here again in two weeks with another brand new story to tell. If you want to learn more about news or the people and projects we spoke about, check out beyondgenderpod.com as always. Give us your thoughts and feedback on Twitter at Beyond Gender Pod or Facebook, www.facebook.com slash Beyond Gender Pod. Or email us at beyondgenderpod at gmail.com. Thank you to Matt Van Horn for mixing and editing. Broke for free for our music and, of course, Lux for our artwork. Dorian Brendan for news, production, and the occasional host slot. And our producer and host with the most, Caleb Arrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrr